On this Thanksgiving episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we jump right into local college football by previewing OU West Virginia with Jed Drenning. Jed is the sideline reporter for West Virginia and also has one of the coolest Twitter handles out there, at the signal caller. So good. In the National College Football Roundup, we discuss the initial college football playoff rankings and preview some of the marquee games of the weekend. With Thanksgiving this week, we don't have our regular segments, but we do preview the Thanksgiving Day NFL games and answer a few of the most important Thanksgiving questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Oh man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, November 25th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. First Fidelity Bank donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday night yeah. a little tuesday and sir you have had quite the night okay let's now we wanted to get it out of the way because we wanted to enjoy thanksgiving but we also wanted people to be able to dive into the ou west virginia preview before thanksgiving we all know the holidays even with corona going on could still be pretty crazy but you have had one hell of a tuesday night let, let lay it out for me here yeah, uh, started off with the radio show from 2 to 6, then did TV with T-Row on the Huddle Show from 6 to 7, then did the Coaches Show with Lincoln Riley from 7 to 8, and then now we're doing the Oklahoma Breakdown from now until we're done. So I'm happy to get it all out of the way, though. If I could do it all in one day every week, that would be the way to do it. Maybe. Hey, you, you never know. Be careful what you wish for, sir. <laughs> right. Very um, true. Now, we're recording early because Thanksgiving's on Thursday, and we want to enjoy Thanksgiving. You got any, any big plans or keeping it small? I, everyone's telling us to keep it small, so that's what we're doing. We're going immediate family. We're, we all got tested today, actually. All negative. The whole Eichard clan, baby. Nice. All negative. Let's go. So... My immediate family 
is coming over and that's that's pretty much it we got some stuff with my wife's side to the family they all got tested so yeah but it's certainly not the extravaganza that it normally is right no it's not going to be an extravaganza we're keeping it pretty small too uh going back to see my parents hey is this first holiday in the new house breaking in the new house oh yeah wow how about that this is the big moment now Got to make sure it's decorated, we've, everything looks good. Okay, we've had we've had some, you know, we've had like a birthday thing over there. Yeah, my wife did a birthday count. thing. Remember when OU lost to Kansas State? Yeah, that was yeah. on my birthday. <laughs> and I came home and there was like this surprise thing with our friends. And I was like, awesome, this is great. Thanks, honey. But wow. yes, this is the first big holiday in the new house. There's a little bit of pressure there, but I think you guys are going to handle it just fine. It's going to be great. Should be okay, and I I cannot wait for our trip to Morgantown, Teddy. So excited. It's going to be fun. We're going to spend a lot of time in Morgantown. Maybe we, more than we hoped, but we'll, we have it, to wear a, a mask. We have to wear a mask and a face shield on the plane, I've been told. I mean, isn't that a bit dramatic? I mean, <laughs> seriously. We're testing. We also we also have to get tested at seven thirty a.m. in the on Friday. We're testing the day of. We're flying out. We're not even flying with the team. We're with like thirty people on another flight, and you know we're testing. You got to be negative, obviously, to board the plane, and then you got to wear an in like an N ninety five for the entire flight and the face shield. It just, it seems a bit dramatic to me, but uh, hey, I've been through worse. We'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Gosh, that's going to be so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be so uncomfortable. It's going to be great. Yeah, it'll be fun. Morgantown's fun. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to remain positive. I'm going to keep telling myself it'll be fun until I actually believe it. That's how it's this thing works. It's going to be fun. Morgan there you go. Fun. Say It'll it one good. more time, Teddy. Just one more It'll time. It'll be good. It's going to be fun. There you go. All right, let's get to the local college football, and that's brought to you by Will & Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will & Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate, and by the fire during the winter months there you go it's made in oklahoma and it's absolutely delicious will and wiley is customized for the oklahoma lifestyle go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at at will and wiley if you're drinking some because of us tag us in your social media posts to let them know okay there is a very hot topic that is going to be discussed extensively at thanksgivings across the state of oklahoma all people are talking about is the Oklahoma State ball boy that suffered a broken rib wrestling around with OU fans in the stands trying to keep the ball from being thrown out of the stadium. I, I actually saw him in the tunnel giving a statement to OUPD. And I was like, oh, that's weird. wonder what happened there. <laughs> and then... After he was given his, and he did not look good. I'm not going to lie. He did not look like he felt very good. And I saw him on the sideline in a sling. And I was like, what the hell happened to that kid? 
But OU Athletics, they, they put a statement out. I thought they did a great job. They condemned what happened in the stands. But the second I saw this entire story, what, like his mom put something on Facebook or something like, and then his roommates were putting things out there. The first human being I thought of was you, sir, <laughs> Teddy Lehman. Because I, I was like, Teddy will be the voice of reason in this because you, you are the best among us. You are the best among OU fans. You speak for the people. What is your ruling on this matter? Because your ruling, sir, is final, and then we're moving on. Well, okay, so there's a couple of different sides to this thing. Number one, let me say that in no way do I condone the beating of an opposing ball boy. I do not condone that, okay? Um, I've seen some people in the local media say that it's time that this tradition of throwing the football out of the stands end. I mean, this is the first time anything negative at all has, has happened. You're throwing a football out of the stadium. Let's not all just get into a massive panic. If they wanted the ball that bad, all they had to go do was stand outside of the stadium where they were about to throw it over, grab it, and then come back inside. Not that big of a deal. But there must have been some moment where uh, the equipment manager, maybe the head football coach at Oklahoma State, all got together and said, this ends now. No more are they going to throw our footballs out of the stadium to where we have to walk outside and grab them. It ends today. They've and I feel been like, taking her balls for too long. I said too long. That's right. Uh, so that's the biggest part of it is I found it interesting that they said, nope, we're fighting and scrapping for these footballs. So I feel like you remember the part in Saving Private Ryan whenever um, Tom Hanks gets the gum and puts it on the knife with the mirror and is looking around the corner. And then he sends one of the guys through the firing squad over to those little mounds. That's basically what they did with the Oklahoma State ball boys. <laughs> they sent them up into the crowd on a night kick where everyone's been drinking all day, something that they always do, and you're going to say, no, you're not going to do this. I mean, again, I'm not condoning tuning up the ball boy, but what I'm saying is, Someone sent him in there for failure. Like, do not come back here without that football or else. You know what I'm saying? It's like they doomed him to fail. I'd be mad at whoever told him to go get that football. Agreed. I, I find it hard to believe that the group of equipment managers all got together and they're like, we're doing this. We're going in the stands. <laughs> and they just went rogue. I find that hard to believe. So, I agree. Once again, I think we should make it clear. Don't beat up the opponent's ball boys. Please don't. It makes us look bad. That being said, they put people outside the stadium to grab the balls. They bring them back in. Those balls aren't lost. And I even saw, because the kid that was kicking, the pole kid or whatever his name was, he was kicking, the, and all the kicking balls had it written on it. I noticed, and I should have taken a picture. I don't know why, but it was like 
they wrote something like, if you throw this out of the stadium, all the sooner magic will go away or something like that. <laughs> it was something to that effect. And I was like, that's funny. But that ball's still getting tossed out of the stadium. But I, I did think there was a, uh, an overreaction by some people going, this is the most ridiculous thing. It's like, yeah, the kid got hurt. It shouldn't happen. But, guys, let's be smart. Let's not put a kid in a terrible situation like that. Also, I do want to congratulate the OU fans that came over and were like, hey, stop doing that to the kid. Like, just, he's got the ball. Let him have it. Like, good on him. And there were some OU fans that stepped in and kind of were uh, mediators in that whole thing. So good for those people. But let's be honest. This whole situation is hilarious. Like, I, I'm sorry the kid got hurt, but like, what? This is the most college football thing that has ever happened. I can hear the conversation now. The equipment guy probably went up to Coach Mike Gundy and said, Hey, coach, we better stop scoring. We're going to run out of footballs. And that's why they stopped scoring points, you know, they're <laughs> throwing them all out of the stadium. I don't know. The whole thing was just like, again, while I find the N95 mask and the face shield a bit dramatic, I also find the let's stop throwing the ball over the out of the stadium. I find that whole like outrage to be way dramatic too. give me a break. If there's one thing I know about OU fans, if you tell them not to do something, yes, they're definitely going to listen. They're, they're, there's not going to be anyone that you know catches that ball and tries to single-handedly throw it out of the north side of that stadium. I mean, the outrage over throwing a sixty-dollar football out of the stadium, like that fired everyone up. They don't care about coaches getting a $20 million buyout to go not coach football, but that $60 pigskin that goes flying out of the stadium, that, that riled up the local media big time. They will not have that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. We've got Jed Drenning, who is the sideline reporter for West Virginia. We've got a great interview with him uh, previewing the game this weekend. But before we get to that interview, I do want to say this. Ted, I've been watching a lot of West Virginia the last couple of days. And I know Oklahoma is rolling. This team's got a ton of confidence, and it should. They're playing good football on both sides. They're coming into this game rolling and feeling good. I get it. But West Virginia is the most physical team they've played. They are at the line of scrimmage with what I've seen from their offensive line and what I've seen from their defensive line. I think we're going to learn the most about Oklahoma because I, I, I really do view great teams. Like it all starts at the line of scrimmage with me. Like how is your offensive line? How is your defensive line? And then I go from there, right? You throw quarterback in there, obviously, but I am very curious with how physical West Virginia is on the offensive line and how talented and physical they are on the defensive line, I think this is OU's biggest test at the line of scrimmage so far this season. Yeah, well, I, that means a lot coming from you because here's the thing. Offensive line, I believe, 
at least this season, is the biggest weakness of this conference. Texas Tech, offensive line, bad. TCU's offensive line, horrible. Oklahoma State's offensive line, bad. I mean, you can go down the list. There's a bunch of, of bad offensive lines in this conference. Now, I'm not saying West Virginia is an elite offensive line like you're going to see if you go to the college football playoff. But no, I don't think maybe, they are either. Are they the best we've seen this year? Yes. In, in my opinion, I, mean, I, I just think with – and I don't think they're the most talented or anything, but I just like the way they play, man. Like, and, the, and the concepts aren't overly complicated. They're well coached, but they're physical. Mm-hmm. They, got a, they, they got a lot of nasty up front. And well, oh, you hadn't seen much of that. Let's be honest. They haven't. And there's something else that uh, it, it's not necessarily that we have a ton of trouble with it, but it's whenever people stick with it for extended periods that it, that it does become problematic. Big personnel shifts, motions, pre-snap to mess with our run fits. That Iowa State did it. Kansas State did it. Um, we've seen that in the past. That's one of the things that just – the way to slow down a defense that's playing super aggressive like we are is to make them think. And the way you make them think is to give them something different every snap and window dress all of your runs. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, uh, I'm excited for this game. It's going to be good. Okay, we've got the OU West Virginia preview with Jed Drenning, and that's brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And, of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim Hughes found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. All right. Here's Jed Drenning. It is our pleasure to be joined by the sideline reporter for West Virginia. He also has one of the best Twitter handles in the game, at the signal caller. So good. It is so good. Jed Drenning is in the house. Jed, how you doing, man? I I can't complain. It's kind of like the Penn State uniform of Twitter handles, right? I, I got on board so early uh, that it was plain. It was vanilla. I have to give Tony Caridi, our play-by-play guy, all the credit in the world. He was one of the first to jump on Twitter and said, hey, you got to get on this thing. It's cool. It's new. I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, so that's why I don't have hashtags or underscores or asterisks. <laughs> so I, I give full credit to Tony. How you guys that, doing? That thing may be worth some money. You know, you should – Maybe think about selling your Twitter handle to someone out there where it would make sense. It's, it's an original, man. I'm always fielding offers, so you know where to reach me, right? <laughs> I, I suppose everyone has their price, right, Jed? Now, Jed, before we, we talk about the players for West Virginia and, and some of the things you're looking 
at heading into Saturday, uh, I did want to start with Neil Brown because I am, I'm a huge Neil Brown fan. I've had the opportunity to interview him a lot on my Sirius XM show, and I think he's fantastic. And it, it feels like he's changed the mentality at West Virginia. It, it feels like this is a physical football team. Uh, it seems like the program is, is built around toughness now. And, and I got to imagine, like, they're ahead of schedule, right? They, they are playing some good football in year two under Neil Brown, Jed. Yeah, I'd say that's the case. And when you look at the situation that Neil inherited, first of all, Dana Holgerson had a really good football team in 2018, and he left following that season. But the problem was we lost so much on both sides of the ball following that 2018 season. A record-setting quarterback, uh, NFL talent at multiple spots at receiver, the defensive player of the year in the conference. We lost a ton of talent. And it was already going to take some time to replenish that talent and rebuild anyway. But then you add to it a coaching transition in which there's always some natural attrition anyway, and it made things even more difficult. So here we come around in year two, and you're thinking, well, at long last, we have a full off season to rebuild things and get back to where we need it. Here comes the pandemic, and all of a sudden it's Zoom meetings, and it's this, and it's that. So 18 months or so into this, I'd say, yeah, we're probably ahead of where we should be. But Neil's one of those guys – I kind of look at it like this. There's leaders, there's coaches, and then there's guys who are both. Neil is the type of guy that irrespective of whether you put him in charge of your football program or you put him in charge of the Walmart in Grafton, West Virginia, you give him a year or two or three years, and that business or that program or that team is going to be in better shape than when he took it over. He's just that kind of guy with those leadership skills. He delegates, and he brings out the best in those around him, and I mean from the staff on down. And he's a culture guy, and I think he's building it from the ground up in the right way. Uh, you mentioned culture there, and I, this is what I think is fascinating about what they've done in such a short time there. You know, last year, terrible run in the football. Worst in the Big 12, just over, you know, two yards a carry. And they're late in the season, and they're, they're pounding their head against a wall. And to the casual viewer, it's like, why are we still trying to run the football whenever we know we can't do it? We don't have the offensive line. It's not working. Why do they continue to do this? And I think this year shows you exactly why you continue to pound that into your guys, try and build that culture, that philosophy. And the next thing you know, it starts to – you get over the hump and you start to move people off the football – understand those blocks you got a running back in that understands the scheme I mean that first year was a full year of taking your stripes and really learning this thing from the ground up right and taking it on the chin right, right. And, and first yeah. of all I appreciate you upgrading us last year to terrible in the run game because that's kind <laughs> of you okay we, we were historically bad running the football we really were uh I mean we were doing things we were digging up numbers things that hadn't been done uh, in terms of futility in the run game of West Virginia since the late 60s, whether you're looking at yards per rush or yards per game, rushing touchdowns, we struggled in all areas. Now, the only thing worse than not having a run game offensively is not even, even having the pretense of a run game. You at least got to pretend like you're going to try and run the ball, right? I, I mean, Neil's job as a play caller last year was 
was difficult to the extreme because if you stripped everything down to the bare bones, we really were a one-dimensional offense. And he had to find so many different calls for so many third and longs. When you can't run the football, you guys know this better than anybody. You're going to live off script. You're going to live behind the chains. And there's only so many things you can dial up on third and eight, third and nine, third and 12. And, and, you know, it wasn't just confined to the run game. It was blocking at large. It was a universal issue we had offensively, including blocking on the perimeter with the receivers. I mean, you call a perimeter screen or a quick screen, you're expecting, a, at worst, a second and seven, a second and eight, right? Not a second and 12. And oftentimes, that's what we found ourselves in. But just stick with it. We committed in the offseason to being a couple things. First, we talked about being one of the most improved teams in the country. And that was only going to happen if we were one of the most improved offensive lines in the country. And I think you've seen some of those things happen. The offensive line has more continuity this year. We have more guys, especially in the interior that I want, who have reps together and, and, and logged snaps together, and they understand each other's shorthand and body language. And that's always going to matter, particularly when you run as much zone scheme as we run. But behind that, Letty Brown's a different back. Letty Brown's a much more patient back, a much more advanced back than he was a year ago. And I credit, you know, not just uh, our entire staff, but specifically Chad Scott, our running backs coach, Matt Moore, our offensive line coach. When you look at the improvement there, Letty Brown's a guy who last year I think kind of saw – he was impatient, and I think he kind of saw his blockers as an obstacle. Well, this year he sees them as an asset, and he's developed some patience. It's all working out, but we're still a working project. I mean, we'll get into some of this. When we've struggled as a football team, those old habits have reared their ugly head again. And our three losses this year, Oklahoma State, yeah, Letty had over 100 yards, but as a team we only had 68. We had issues running the football. Texas Tech, 91 yards. Texas, 43 yards. The next logical step that we have to take isn't just the ability to run the football, but the ability to run the football when somebody knows we have to. And don't look now, but here comes the Big 12's number one ranked rush defense, and they're ranked number one for a reason, so we better solve that part of it quickly. Jed, you, you, you mentioned Letty Brown. Um, I definitely want to talk about Jared Dagey, but is Letty Brown completely healthy coming into this football game? I, I know that he had the groin, right, in the Texas game, uh, looked awfully healthy in West Virginia's last game, but it, it, do you think he's 100% coming in this game? I believe he is. Uh, the okay. bye week did him well. Uh, you're right. He wasn't at full strength against TCU. He kind of gutted through that. I'm not sure how close to 100% he was, but I'm almost certain he wasn't 100%. I know he was sore. Uh, but we needed that bye week. Where, you know, here we go. I'm going to lodge this with the complaint department. We're the only team in the league that had a five-game stretch this year without a bye. Now, ordinarily, who cares? But under these strange circumstances of how the offseason and the summer went with the COVID and, and you're testing a couple times a week, that kind of grinds on you. So we really needed that bye week when we got it. And if I had to choose, boy, what better week to have it than before you got the Sooners? You know, I mean, what better week for us to have it than with our white whale coming to town? I mean, you know, we haven't been able to play the role of Moby Dick against you guys yet, but we're still trying. Now, Jarrett Dagey, uh, a, a guy that he's probably the least talked about quarterback in the entire conference. Uh, maybe the least known. I don't know if it's because of West Virginia geographically is so separated or what, but he's number two in the conference in yards per game, 13 touchdowns, just the three interceptions. 
Um, you know, he's been fantastic for them. He spreads the ball around. You know, he's not a guy that is, you know, going to run all over the field, make these huge plays, highlight reel ESPN Sports Center plays, but he's been mm-hmm. solid, he's been consistent, and he's not turning the football over. I mean, talk about the growth with Jared Dagey and how impressed you've been with him this year. Well, I, I think you start with this, uh, and, and it's not just us being geographically disconnected. There's not a lot of chatter about him here, to be quite honest with you. I think he's an undervalued asset at large, not by the coaching staff, by any means. But I, I think there are some parallels, at least, between his game and Spencer Rattler's in the sense that both of them appreciate the value of keeping the football out of harm's way. I, I think way too much was made. You, you guys have seen this better than anybody early in the season with the picks by Spencer Rattler. I mean, you had a tipped ball. You had a couple of balls in Hail Mary situations at the end of the game. That kid from the outset has done a good job of keeping the football out of harm's way. Okay, it's not just something in the last month or during this winning streak. That's the same with Jarrett. Jarrett understands the value of protecting the football. He's the son of a coach. He grew up in a football family, obviously, you know, about his brother. Well, what that means is he's a perfect extension of Neil Brown in this sense. Neil Brown as a head coach is a big complimentary football guy. He understands how all three phases of the game are so directly interlinked and they impact one another. Well, here's how that plays out through the mind of Jarrett Dagey. When you have a formidable defense like West Virginia does this year, why risk the football with, with uh, dangerous throws and potential turnovers and put that defense on short fields when you don't have to? Play to your strengths as a football team. Help protect your defense. Make smart, safe throws. And he's done a good job at doing that. And something else that Jarrett does a terrific job of, and I think this in large measure was one of the key reasons he beat out Austin Kendall in August to retain that job. He consistently puts us in the right play. And I don't mean the right play that the fans are going to see on the stat sheet always or between the lines. I mean, he's going to put us in the right protection. He's going to put us in the right check in the run game. All the things that don't surface on the stat sheet, he's been very, very adept at. And I think that's something he's also getting better at. But I think just in general, you've seen his game improve at least a little bit each week throughout the course of this entire season. Jed, what about this wide receiving core? Because it, it's a little interesting. They, they've got a lot of playmakers, but I look at a guy like Sam James. He hadn't had the type of year that I thought he was going to have. We saw TJ Simmons. He's back healthy now making plays in that TCU game. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton wearing number zero, which is still weird to me, but that's a guy <laughs> that has had, you know, he's made several big plays for him this year, but it seems like Winston Wright, has really become Deggie's guy. Yeah, he's as close to a guy as we probably have week in, week out. I mean, first of all, uh, Sam James has been a curious case this year, and there's a lot at play there. Uh, I mean, that dominant force that, that surfaced a couple times for us last year, consistency was the issue with Sam last year. We were hoping to shore that up and make him a more consistent player this year. But at least from a production as a pass catcher standpoint, we haven't seen it. We've seen it with him as a perimeter blocker and in some other areas. But when you look at the group at large, there's not really obviously a Marvin Mims or uh, a D.D. Westbrook or a C.D. Lamb. I mean, we don't have that kind of guy, that kind of dominant force in the perimeter that's just going to throw down and, and win almost every 50-50 ball. What we have is a group of guys with different skill sets. You mentioned a couple there. 
Bryce Ford Wheaton, let's start with him. He can be a physical presence. He has that frame. He has that build. He has that skill set. A 220-pound kid on the perimeter. He's a legacy kid. You know, two generations removed from his granddad playing here. He understands the program. He gets it. But he's a very physical element on the perimeter when he shows up mentally. And he has about half the time. So when he does, he's a force to be reckoned with. We just need him to be more consistent with it. T.J. Simmons, he's been dinged up a little bit. He's had some other issues he's dealt with. And, and he's gotten stronger over the course of the last handful of weeks, and he's playing his best football. I think what you saw against TCU wasn't just his best game this year. It was probably his best game as a Mountaineer. Uh, he played well against you guys last year. So we're hoping for more production out of him. And when you look at Winston, he's the guy that has most consistently showed up week in, week out. And he's also the type of guy you can feed him with a quick game. He can plant a toe and make a guy miss and be productive and help you not just as a downfield threat, but also as a threat when Jared Diggy's getting ready to the football quickly, which you're going to have to do when you're trying to find some level of balance if you sometimes struggle running the football. You have to extend your run game after that quick game on the perimeter. Winston Wright is the perfect type of weapon for that type of element. All right. Well, you mentioned complementary football. And I agree, West Virginia has been a shining example of that. Uh, not overly uh, risky or aggressive offensively, play to that defense. And I think Oklahoma State has been the exact same as you guys have. And they found themselves in a football game where they're down 21 points to Oklahoma really quick, and it looked like there was no contingency plan. So what happens if West Virginia finds themselves down a couple of scores and has to get aggressive? Is that a disaster scenario for them? Or do you think Jared Dagey and this group of wide receivers and maybe even Lady Brown out of the backfield some can handle that type of adversity? Well, it's certainly not an optimal scenario. And when you're facing a team that much has been made this week for obvious reasons – Oklahoma 124 to 17 in the first quarter. So you better brace for impact, right? You, you either better do something to stop that or get ready for the fact you might find yourself behind the eight ball very quickly. Okay. Uh, I think the last thing you can do as a plan B is say, well, we got to drop any pretense of a run game. We have to be a one dimensional football team and just wing it and hope for the best. That's not how we're built. But if you go back to Neil Brown's roots, and here's one of the things I love about Neil Brown. He's an old-school air raid disciple, played for Mike Leach as the receiver coach of Kentucky. We all know the story, right? As a play caller, he's a guy who's won games 56-53 to 53 for Tommy Tuberville at Tech, but he's also, as a play caller, at Troy won games 12-7 to 7 with 220 yards of offense. He still has both ends of that candle ready to be lit when necessary. The question is, do we have the personnel to plug in? if we find ourselves down 17, 21, before we can blink an eye and take a breath? That's the question, and that's something that we're going to have to find out, but I hope we don't have to. I, I think that when you look in that receiver room, that is quite frankly a group that entering this season, we viewed the strength of this football team at large, we hope to be our defensive line, and that's obviously panned out to be true. Well, probably right behind that, we thought from a potential standpoint, this group of receivers – could serve as, as a huge strength for this football team. That hasn't panned out from a consistency standpoint. Again, we think the talent does populate that room. There's a couple of young guys that I had mentioned either that have been productive for us. But I don't think the game's over by any stretch just because of the character within this football team and within this locker room. If they find themselves down, here's what I can tell you. 
you're going to be in for a battle for 60 minutes, no matter what the scoreboard says. That's what I can promise you. Now, I can't promise you that we're equipped to make that interesting for more than two quarters, three quarters, three and a half quarters. But I think we're built, if all things go our way, to find ourselves in a one-possession game at some point in the fourth quarter and then try and make a play. But I can tell you this, the only thing that would shock me, the only scenario I'd find stunning is irrespective of what the scoreboard does or doesn't say, if this team lays down and quits and rolls over or gets so desperate, they dig an even deeper hole out of desperation with silly mistakes. I I don't think this team is built that way. I think they're built to fight, to claw back, and to stack pennies. I think that's the mentality of this football team. Uh, But again, we see what's coming into town. We see the fast starts Oklahoma's gotten off to. We see them cresting on this five-game win streak. Uh, the fact that they're not in the top ten tonight when that was rolled out, I think, is is egregious. Uh, I think they're playing some of the best football in the country. And that's how we're viewing this, and that's how we have to prepare for it. But I do think if push comes to shove, Jared Dagey can make plays downfield. I would be more concerned with unleashing your guys' pass rush with a big lead. That would be my biggest concern, to be honest with you. It wouldn't be dropping the game plan and abandoning all else. It would be dealing with those edge guys that you have. I mean, the only thing worse than dealing with your guys defensively is dealing with Perkins and Benito and those guys if you are up 17 or 21. That's much worse, right? Yeah. Uh, That's a really good point, Chet. Now, I can't believe we've gone this long without talking about the number one scoring defense in the conference, also the number one total defense in the conference and uh, let's start at the line of scrimmage jed you've you've seen a lot of west virginia football uh, mm-hmm. where do you think this defensive line stacks up you, you've got the stills brothers well documented how impressive those young men are and then you've got a guy like what akeem mesador right who's really emerged yeah. as a freshman so ju- just how good is that defensive line group well, you jump back, the obvious names that come up or you go back to the 2011-2012 defensive lines with the Bruce Irvins and Julian Millers and those types of guys. But I think from a depth standpoint, and part of it you just touched on with Mesador and guys like that, the depth that they bring to bear is, is, is it's a tough situation for offenses. I mean, we can cycle in and cycle out and still get top-level production. I mean, Akeem Mesador is on the field about as much as the kicking tee. And, and look at him among the sack leaders in the Big 12. He's just that productive. Uh, you get so much bang for your buck when he's on the field. But I, I have to go back to what we've talked about so much already in this conversation is one of the greatest strengths of our defense, Neil Brown. Neil Brown understanding the value of complementary football. When we beat TCU 24-6 to a couple weeks ago, TCU had 63 snaps for the game. Two years ago, when we blew the 17-point lead in the second half in Stillwater, our defense was on the field in the second half for 51 snaps. So Neil understands the value of taking the air out of a football game, shrinking the game. One of the things that most impressed me about Neil in terms of how he impacts and helps his defense, I remember when we hired him and I was studying what he did at Troy. I went back and I, I rewatched that 2017 upset in Baton Rouge over LSU. What jumped out to me about that game, guys, with five minutes remaining in the game, the LSU offense had run 46 snaps. He just he, he smothered the clock in that game with his run game. Cheating, 
stealing, doing everything he can from a spatial standpoint, motion, uh, you know, everything from, from offset formations. He understands that to help his defense out. And we're back to the point we haven't been since the Big East days in terms of snap counts defensively. We're no longer facing these 75, 80 snaps a game, which runs all your defensive numbers up, okay? And all of a sudden, you know, you're going to start in the fourth quarter, see technique disintegrate, hands on hips, tongues wagging. Well, that's not the case when you're only on the field for 60 to 65 snaps. That's because Neil Brown understands the interconnective tissue of complementary football. So having that depth on the defensive line, that serves us very well but it serves us in an even greater way and that we have a head coach who understands, look, sometimes you just got to get a couple first downs and punt. He sees the value in that. But if you want to talk about the personnel on the defensive line, the Stills brothers are as advertised. They really are. Jeffrey Poehler is the unsung member of that group as our starters go. The depth behind those guys is tremendous. I think our linebackers have really – played beyond our expectations this year. Now, part of that was the incredible addition of Tony Fields. He's really a will linebacker playing Mike and do things sideline to sideline, unlike anybody we've had. Our linebackers have really played exceptional football, but the biggest surprise to me by far is our back end. We have three safeties who can tackle in space like nobody's business, and we have two corners who are really, really holding up their end of the bargain. So I just think as a unit – all three levels of that defense have been productive. Now, part of the thing is, one of the reasons you're ranked number one in the conference in so many defensive categories, you haven't played Oklahoma, right? That's what some of these other defenses will tell you. Well, we had to play Oklahoma already. That's why we're ranked behind West Virginia. So it's a test that, as a competitor, you have to look forward to because I truly think what Lincoln Riley has put together over the last, let's say, three to five years, even including his time as a play caller, is maybe one of the most impressive stretches in the history of college football on the offensive side. And so as a competitor, you have to love that type of challenge when it's coming to town and you're presented with it. Well, the, the formula you've been talking about has been the formula to beat Oklahoma. Now, there's not a lot of people that have been able to pull it off. We watched Army almost pull it off uh, in spectacular fashion. Iowa State did similar to what you're talking about this year. If you can limit the amount of snaps Oklahoma's offense runs, that's the true key to beating this football team. So paint us the picture. How does this thing go down in a fashion that West Virginia can pull that off and maybe pull off the upset over Oklahoma? Well, let's start with this. You mentioned the Army game, and it's funny because I remember when we played you guys that year, I walked in during the week, and Tony Gibson, when he was our D coordinator, Tony and I played together in college, he was watching tape early in the week, and he was watching the Army game, and he said, Jed, sit down. I want to show you something. And he pointed at the clock, okay? And he talked about Army's defense, uh, the stretch of time between snaps it had on the field. I mean, what, they had the ball for 45 minutes that night, okay? Crazy, and Oklahoma yeah. still, still puts up 28 points on it, but not everybody's built to do what Army does, okay, to your point. That's difficult to the extreme, okay? I go back to my original point on the offensive side. Oklahoma State, we had 68 yards. Texas Tech, barely 90. Texas held us to 43. We really struggled with that beef they had on the interior. Well, last time I checked, you guys got your share of beef on the interior. If we can't run the football, 
when you know we need to run the football, it's going to be a very, very tall order. And on the flip side, I think that what we have to do with our defensive front are some of the same things we've been good at all year. Now, the issue I see in terms of you guys running the football, you're gaining strength there because of the disruption, I think, in your lineup, right? You lost so much production in the offseason, and I don't just mean with Jalen Hurts. I mean, you had a guy transfer out. You had a guy bow out and didn't play this year. So all of a sudden, you had your top two rushers barely have 100 carries in the system between the two of them, right? One of them misses the first five games. Well, now here comes Stevenson getting his act together, and he's getting reps and getting comfortable in the system. You're a new team offensively, and here's why I think that matters. The six Big 12 games that Oklahoma has lost since Lincoln Riley arrived as the play caller, they've only run for 138 yards. In all the other games that they've won, the 49 wins since he's arrived as the play caller, they've run for 250. So 138 versus 250. You have to find a way to frustrate the Oklahoma ground game, period. You have to. If you can't first and foremost do that, I mean, yeah, when people think Oklahoma offense from the outside looking in, they think Baker. They think Spencer Rattler. They think Kyler Murray. They think of the receivers. The truth is you guys know this better than anybody. What makes you strong offensively is the fact that you can pound people with the football, and so much of what you do is built off that with those constraint plays because Lincoln Riley's just such a creative tactician offensively. So you have to first and foremost control that. So what I'm saying, the long story short, you have to win the line of scrimmage on both sides. West Virginia has to find a way to do that. They have to find a way to disrupt the Oklahoma offensive line. And here you guys come again. It seems like every time I turn around, you have this battle-tested better in offensive line. Are you guys ever young on the offensive line? I can't remember no. it, right? So here you go again. Five, five returning starters, okay? You really get it done with Bill Biedenboe, like so many, few, so few other teams do. That's the challenge, I think. The West Virginia defensive line tasked with controlling or trying to limit what the Oklahoma ground game and Bill Biedenboe's offensive line can do, because when we talk about things that are interconnected, if you can disrupt their ground game, you can kind of disrupt everything they do to some extent. And on the other side, we have to somehow, some way, find a way to earn an honest living running the football more than expected against the league's best rush defense. Those are the two things I think West Virginia needs to do. Everything else is a shiny object. I mean, all the bells and whistles with the skill guys on the perimeter, okay, with the quarterbacks. And, yeah, the turnovers are great. I think West Virginia has to maybe win the turnover battle to win. Oklahoma doesn't. I, I think they can lose it by one or two. But everything else is a distraction, I think. The receivers, even the quarterbacks to some extent. I think this comes down to old-fashioned who can exert their will at the line of scrimmage. Can we slow your run game and run it ourselves? And if that's the case, once again, We'll find ourselves in a one-possession game in the fourth quarter and then hope to make a play. I think that's what we got to do. Jed, what's that atmosphere going to be like for this one? Prime time, Saturday night, Morgantown. Seems like the recipe for a good, good environment. Yeah, you know, throw some tryptophan in there, right? But, I, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those situations. This is probably the first time. I'm truly frustrated by the circumstances surrounding uh, the limitations and the fans that can be there, okay? You know, you're allowing 25%, so you'd be pushing 15,000. This is the kind of game that you'd have 60,000 strong, rocking up and down, making the place crazy, making it just an incredible environment for both the home team and the visitors. Uh, that's not going to be the case, but 
I'd say you guys have seen something similar. The difference between when we played those first couple games with no fans versus ten to 15,000 fans, it's monumental, the difference. Because all of a sudden, I've noticed there's enough noise that it doesn't seem like there's no noise. Whereas it was just a strange, weird environment, almost a lab environment for those games that were empty, right? But it'll be interesting. And it's how many guys, how many fans did you guys have for Bedlam, because I'll tell you what, watching that game on TV, it felt loud. It sounded loud. It it, it seemed like a, it, a pretty it loud, loud environment. It was. How many it were was there? 15,000, I think, is all. Is that See, right I, yeah, so it's so it's possible. There you go. I mean, because I'm telling you what, watching that game from afar, I, I lost track of the fact, hey, there, there's not a full house here, because it sounded loud. You know, but the beauty of Oklahoma, and this is one of the great things about leaving the Big East, going to the Big 12. I love the Big East. But I think culturally we're such a better fit in the Big 12 because when you go places like the Palace on the Prairie, it's they get it. Okay, it's not basketball schools first. They understand the football culture, uh, all the all these campus stadiums. And when you're a visiting team playing in Oklahoma, I love it. I love the moonshine comments. They know the things to say, right? And, and then there's also times, and maybe one of the most impressive things I remember about one of our trips to Oklahoma, I don't remember which one it was, we were coming off the field after the first half, and somebody was down in there really giving us the business, maybe crossing a line, giving us the business kind of thing, okay? Well, you know what? We didn't have to say a word. Four or five more Oklahoma fans gathered around that guy and policed their own, and they took care of that very quickly and just started clapping, saying, come on, boys, get them in the second half. I'm like, see, these guys get it. I mean, that, that's college football. That, that's a tremendous fan base, and I think it's a fan base that's a perfect cultural fit for the West Virginia Mountaineers. And that's why I love these fan bases when I go on the road in the Big 12, on the Big 12 circuit. It's really fun. And we're trying to hold up our end under these strange circumstances. So let's hope it at least feels loud Saturday night, even though there won't be 60,000 strong there helping us out. Good stuff, man. I, I'm looking forward to it. The trip's going to be interesting going out there's going to be a fun environment i just like and you mentioned all the important factors how's this game going to start off and i think that's key because you know kind of like you said people saying west virginia is the number one defense because they haven't played oklahoma yet we'll also think that oklahoma is the number one rush defense because of how good their offense is and people have to abandon it pretty quickly so i think the the way that this game starts off is going to be critical and and I'm going to toss a question back to you because I want to know the answer, but I think you just touched on something there. Speaking of a game flow and time of possession standpoint and topic, well, you guys have won it all but one week, right? So that, that's helping your defense out as well. Now, I view this Oklahoma defense under Alex Grinch. Yes, they're turnover starved, but I think as a league, the Big 12 does a pretty good job of taking care of the football. It's, it's a tough league to force turnovers in, and I know a lot of us want more than we're getting, and that's just kind of the reality that we have to deal with. I see Oklahoma the last couple of years as a technically fundamentally sound defense that leverages the football very well. What I don't get, what I don't understand, what's up with blowing three double-digit leads in the final 18 minutes of three different games and surviving only one of them against Texas? I mean, how has that happened? I mean, how do you guys account for that? Well, I mean, defensively, we had issues. Um, you go back to the Kansas State game, that game comes down to, honestly, like five plays five plays that you gave up explosive plays and you turned the okay. football over offensively. Iowa State, it's kind of the same thing. Um, it, was okay. a, it was a little bit more methodical by Iowa State, 
But I'll tell you what's been – if you go back and look at every single loss from Oklahoma, the key is special teams. They gave up a punt block against Kansas State. They gave up an 85-yard kickoff return to Iowa State in critical moments of the game, and that blew the thing open. And you can go back and look at a bunch of other football games. That's always been something that happens. And that's, that's something they've done really good is they've turned that kicking game around this year. That's a great point. Because uh, that, that just when I, when I study them from afar, uh, again, whether I'm watching tape or doing analytics or trying to cross-reference those two things, that's the that's the piece that doesn't fit. They they don't have the structure or the personality of a team that blows late leads like that, and and yet they've done it three times. And I'm like, how's that playing out? Because that, that's not the composition of this football team. That might have been 2014 Oklahoma, but it's not 2020 Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, our running game also struggled early, Gabe. It and it struggled early in the game against Oklahoma State. Also, I mean it it, it did. So well, don't you think? And here's something else I've noticed. You're getting knocked backwards a lot more. But, again, most of that was early. A lot more TFLs per game you're allowing. Okay, that's uncharacteristic of Lincoln-Riley offenses. And I attributed that to part of what we talked about earlier. A young quarterback, first time in the system, but two young backs. Not really young, but young in the system from a rep standpoint. Okay, if Kennedy Brooks was back, I don't think you're dealing with that type of thing. Getting knocked backwards as often, but we spoke about the patience that Letty Brown's learned. Well, maybe that's the process that these guys are learning as they get more reps in the system. Again, Stevenson missed the first five games. That matters, right? So all of a sudden, when you're when you're looking at Pledger and Stevenson and guys trying to find a comfort zone, it's not like they were 150 carry guys before this year. So. I, I think you're even behind a veteran offensive line. You can anticipate early in the season, which is when all this happened, some kind of disruption where you get knocked off schedule a little bit with TFLs, and you just hit on something else critical that I'm sure played a role. Your inability to consistently run the football in those games, like I would guess you can now, probably played a role as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. Jed, this was great, man. Uh, absolutely fantastic stuff, and. We're looking forward to seeing you on Saturday night, brother. I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to it, too. You know, we're a couple degrees away. It started off as like a 50% chance of cold rain, low 50s, but now it's down to like a 20% chance Saturday night. It changes almost every day. I, I was really, really pulling for that 2016 snow and kickoff environment. You know, I, I would love, awesome. to love to see that again. Love to see that again, but it, it's going to have to drop another 10 degrees or so for that to happen. All right, man. Well, we'll see you Saturday. Absolutely. Safe travels to you guys, and happy Thanksgiving, all right? I would say it's safe to say that Jed Drenning knows a little bit about West Virginia football there, Ted. He knows some West Virginia football, and my man likes him some Neil Brown. Yeah, and so do I. So do I. Yep. All right. Agree. Let's move on to Call Your Shot, and that's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is legit. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. 
Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And we asked you for your boldest prediction for OU West Virginia on Saturday night. Now, Ted, I do want to start with an honorable mention that comes from Cade Dixon, at Cade underscore Dixon on Twitter, who says, Creed beats up the Stills brothers so bad they become the Stills sisters, which, <laughs> which is pretty good, which is pretty good. But uh, both of those guys are pretty good players. But I, I like this one from Kane uh, at Cool Your Crits on Twitter says, Oklahoma wins 35 to 10. Two Oklahoma defensive turnovers. Rattler will throw one pick but a good, strong showing by our Sooners. 35-10, to 10, that'd be a pretty impressive win. I mean, going on the road against a solid football team in a hostile environment, and I know it's not going to be full, but I, I would take that. If you, if you told Lincoln Riley he could have a 35-10 to 10 win right now, I bet you'd be like, yes, thank you. I will take that. Thank you. Yeah, and – Here's one of the reasons why I think that that may be uh, feasible is I, I, I think th there's a good likelihood that West Virginia, like the unknown for me is how good is West Virginia's offense going to be able to perform against our defense. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the, the wild card here. And I feel like the way we're playing, we could build on uh, what's been a really good couple of games. But I don't think we're going to be able to just start ripping off 40, 50, 60 yard runs. But I do think Lincoln Riley is going to try and keep it on the ground and not let that pass rush get to Spencer Rattler. So if he starts to get a little bit of a lead, he could lead on the running game. And I think it would be a slow death because I don't, as good as they are defensively, I don't know that we would just start, you know, blowing open huge explosive uh, scoring plays. Yeah. And, you know, Jed was talking about it, right? These are two teams that like to control the football, kind of play at a slower pace, and they happen to be the top two teams in the Big 12 when it comes to time of possession. There's your stat of the day. How about that? Yeah, love it. Uh, one more piece uh, for local college football. Oklahoma State hosting Texas Tech, right? And uh, I'm not very interested in this football game. I think Oklahoma State's going to be just fine. I don't think Matt Wells and, and that Texas Tech team our very good football team this year. I'm just going to call it how I see it. But after a really disappointing performance in Bedlam, this should be a good bounce-back opportunity for Oklahoma State. But I am interested, Ted, to see what the quarterback situation looks like because that whole thing in Bedlam was weird. Mm -hmm. And it seems like Sanders has an awfully short leash now. So – I, I'm a little curious to see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, tell me if this is a dramatic overreaction by me. I don't think Oklahoma State's very good. Okay. I think their offensive line 
is one of the worst in the conference. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be a good football team when your offensive line is the way that theirs is. So I agree because this, this is how I gauge like what good is. I, I don't know the best way to do it, but I always think about OU because I, I'm always, you know, thinking about the big picture of college football, not necessarily just the big 12. I'm thinking about Alabama, Clemson, you know, Notre Dame this season. Right. And I think that Alabama would beat Oklahoma state by 50. Yep. Like just because they wouldn't be able to block them. They wouldn't be able to do anything offensively because their offensive line is such a liability and if I think that Alabama would beat you by 50, maybe you are, maybe, maybe you're not a bad team, but I, I guess they do beat good teams or teams that people consider good by a lot. But that's just kind of my thought. It's like, I mean, could I really consider a team that I don't think could hang with, you know, the top 10 or 15 teams in college football right now because of where their offensive line is at? I, I guess I can't call them a good team. I think their defense is solid. I really do, but their defense gets left out to dry right now because their offensive line can't block anybody and they can't produce offensively. How here's the other thing. And I agree. I like their defensive uh I like their de- their defense. I think it's a good solid group and we saw that in the second third quarter once everything just kind of settled down after that thing got blown open, their offense turned it over in their own territory. Uh, their first couple of possessions offensively are just horrible. But how far down the list in the Big 12 do you have to go, quarterback-wise, before you would take either Spencer Sanders or Illingworth? It's pretty far. Would you take Jared Daigie over Spencer Sanders? Yes. You'd take Brock I mean, Purdy. I haven't, I haven't seen him yet against Oklahoma, but from what – I mean, statistically, it ain't even close. And they've played the same people. Would you take the freshman at K-State, Will Howard? He's kind of had the wheels fall off lately. But he can run. Yeah, but he's also been thrust into that spot because Skylar Thompson – I wouldn't take him over Skylar Thompson. No. So, I mean – wouldn't take him over Duggan. No. So, Charlie Brewer? Yeah, you tell me. Yeah, I, I think they're about the same guy. Yeah. That's, that's, Maybe that's, Brewer statistically is better. Right. Yeah, so you're looking at the only quarterbacks that you would take after those guys play for Kansas and Tech. Right, because Tech, I mean, they don't have a quarterback. Uh, but Bowman, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I I understand hey. the point you're making, and it is well made, sir. Yeah, I mean, even Bowman, or I can't even think of the guy we played against. can't even think of his name. Columbia. Columbia, uh, which I don't think is that bad. And I'll tell you something, they're not playing behind a good offensive line either. True. So, I don't know, man. I just, maybe it's a dramatic overreaction because of what we saw Saturday night, but. I'm not convinced that that offense is it's it's bad, man. It's ugly. We'll see what happens in that game against Tech. I that is an interesting game, right? A lot of chatter about Mike Gundy locally 
asking him if he's burnt out, you know, how he's doing all these things. And it's like, huh, I'm, I'm interested to see how that team plays in that one. I'm not going to lie. All right, Ted, let's move on to the national college football roundup. That's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information for many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to beat your meet to beat to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Okay, few pieces of college football news. We got to start with the college football playoff rankings. The first version of the rankings are out. And for whatever reason, the committee met in person because I, sure, why not? And I'm not going to judge them, but that seems seemed unnecessary. But <laughs> Tyler McComas, my co host on my radio show, brought up a great point. He said that there's no way all those old guys could operate their Zoom. So they just said, <laughs> let's, let's get everyone together in person. It'd be a lot better than Barry Alvarez trying to get on a Zoom call. Barry, Barry you're on mute. You're in you're, your you're, underwear, Barry. You're, you're on mute. You got, you got the camera turned the wrong way. Barry, ah, oh, gosh, we'll just meet in person. <laughs> um, but they did meet in person. And some interesting rankings, right? Tulsa comes in at number 25. Look at the Golden Hurricane. Let's nice. go now. Their game against Houston is off, which is unfortunate. They've had incredibly bad luck playing football games this year, but still number 25. Let's go. We see you in the 918. Oklahoma State coming in at 23. Texas coming in at 17. And then the Oklahoma Sooners at number 11. Teddy, those are just the ones that, you know, kind of people around here were interested in. But there's a lot of interesting rankings in this initial CFP poll. And the, the one that just jumped out to me was Georgia at number nine. I, I mean, they got smacked by Florida. They got smacked by Bama. I, I just don't get it. I, I, do they just like JT Daniels that much? Like <laughs> he's played one game and it was against a bad team. Like I don't understand the love for Georgia. It makes no damn sense to me. I'll tell you right now, um, Oklahoma, I love our chances against Georgia. In a, on a neutral side game, I, hell, in Athens, I don't care where it is, I think Oklahoma beats Georgia. So um, the fact that they're ranked where they are, well, their losses are against better teams. I don't care. I've watched the team play. Uh, they've got a really good defense whenever they're healthy and they're all out there, but offensively, they just – they don't stack up with, with the rest of the country. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you on Georgia. Now, Miami at 10, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really have much of an argument there. I don't, I don't think their defense is very good, but okay. But I, I think a lot of people were surprised 
at where BYU was. Number 14, they got a lot of work to do. They need a lot of help. And I wonder if they are regretting saying no to Washington. <laughs> right? They should. I mean, it's the dumbest thing ever. Why would they not play Washington? Well, they said they wanted to see where they were at. Guys, you have played a shit schedule. You knew that the committee was going to use that against you. Like, you need to play as many Power 5 teams as possible. I, I, I don't understand what they were thinking. Like, we knew this was coming. Like, Cincinnati's at number seven because they've played teams. They've played SMU and Memphis. Like, they've played teams that people think are pretty decent. BYU's played no one. Boise? Come on. Well, I don't know. Like, they jumped at the opportunity to play Boise State. I'd rather play Washington than Boise State. I mean, Washington is it's not a good football team. I know they're 2-0, and but, I mean, you – that just that was a bad look altogether. I mean, I don't I can't sit here and tell you that they docked them for not playing Washington, but it does look like you're dodging competition to keep your record intact. Do you think that BYU's athletic director called Washington's athletic director immediately? You know how those things like they flip over, right? Do you think when they showed up at number 14, he was like, "Oh, okay, I got to make a call." I mean, I'm I'm sure maybe they don't care. Maybe at this point they'd rather continue, have an undefeated season, go play in a decent bowl game against an opponent that they have a chance against beating and try and have an undefeated season and, and claim that they were the, a top five football team or something like that. I don't know what they're doing because if they want to make a New Year's Six or they want to make a college football playoff, they just – you know, flushed it down the toilet by dismissing the Washington game or saying, we want to wait and see where we're at. Oh, my God. Okay. So pathetic. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume they're going to schedule something. It'd be awesome to watch BYU and Cincinnati play, and they both have December 5th open. Just saying. Just saying. I don't know why Cincinnati would want to do that. They just need a they few don't... things to happen, and they're good. Right. I mean – BYU, everyone in front of them is like really good. It's like why would why would we play you guys? We're ahead of you in the in the standings. We don't need that game from you guys. Like they're going to be trying to pick up scraps now if they're going to do something. Washington's the that's the perfect team. They were undefeated. Here's the thing: they're going to be in a beauty contest. Oregon's going to be undefeated with a crappy schedule, horrible schedule, but it's going to be against all Power Five schools. Here's your chance to play Washington that Oregon ends the season against. You could play them now on a short week, pound them, and then say, look, Oregon did this against the same opponent. They're no better than us. I mean, that's your, that was your chance right there. They screwed it up. It's pathetic. They wanted to see where they were, Teddy. God. God. I love that. Did you see that uh, Zach Wilson – tweeted out anyone anywhere anytime to his defense the BYU people tweeted that out and I don't think the BYU administration talks to the people that manage the social media (laughs) there well I assume there's a disconnect there that's true but it was bad timing though it was so bad it makes it laughable I love that now okay the top six right 
They they flipped a six. We got Bama number one. Absolutely no argument. Notre Dame number two. Absolutely no argument. A lot of people were interested that uh, were were confused maybe that Clemson was ahead of Ohio State, and I. <sighs> I think it has to do with Ohio State playing fewer games, but also the committee just watched Ohio State look very human against Indiana, and I think that's why they've got Clemson in front of them, right? Clemson's sure. only loss on the road without their stud quarterback, missing Overturn. a bunch of players on defense, and even though Dabo still acted a fool about the whole Florida State thing, Clemson comes in at number three. You got any problem with Clemson being ahead of Ohio State? Absolutely not. I do not. Um, I, I think that their loss is to the number two team in the country and all the things that you pointed out, incredible game, super tight, without their uh, quarterback, without a bunch of guys on defense. You, you, a reasonable person would say that Clemson wins that football game if Trevor Lawrence and those defenders play. Ipso facto, they'd be the number two team in the country. So I think that's – they're getting a pass there, and I think deservedly so. And the committee did the right thing. They put Texas A&M, who beat Florida, ahead of Florida. A&M is at five. Florida is at six. Mentioned six in Cincinnati at seven. And then the fighting Reese Davises. Coming in at number eight. But I, I do just want to frame this this way. OU would beat the shit out of Northwestern right now. And I, okay, maybe that's not the best way to put it. But Northwestern, they are a good football team. They are a physical football team. That would be a game that you would be very sore after. But they cannot score. And no team that cannot score is beating Oklahoma with the way that they're playing right now. It's just not happening, Teddy. Nope. I mean – Two losses are two losses. That's, that's what I true. keep reminding myself. Two losses, two losses. You have to take some type of hit for those two losses. Um, right. Now, if this was just a power ranking, like who's the best teams, because there is a, a formula here for the playoff that you can't just be the best team – and have not earned it up to this point. There, there, you do have to earn your place uh, to a certain degree. So, yeah, I think Northwestern's fine there. That situation with Northwestern, I, it doesn't bother me because that sorts itself out between them and Ohio State. You right. know what I'm saying? That sorts itself out. They're going to win out, Northwestern is, and they're going to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, and I think they lose that game, and – we're not even discussing it. If they win that game, Ohio State's out. So it, it just it doesn't matter. That situation plays itself out, and I got no problem with where they're ranked. And the funny thing is, actually, Northwestern, uh, as we're recording this, Northwestern only needs to win one of their final three games to play in the Big Ten championship game because Wisconsin came in at yep. number 16 – but their game against Minnesota got canceled. Uh, so Wisconsin is now ineligible for the Big Ten title game, right. which doesn't seem right to me. That Unless, like, like, Northwestern has the rest of their games canceled or something like that, right? I mean, which well, I guess they'd still have the, the win over them, but... 
They earned it whenever they beat them, though, on the field. Yeah. I No, I, I have no problem. Like, uh, hey, we just watched it. Northwestern whooped Wisconsin. Like, we just watched it with our eyes. But I just feel bad for the kids from Wisconsin. It's like, what are you playing for now? You know what I mean? I know. And they went through all this crap, that horribly long preseason, and just everything that they've been through, and it was just taken away. It was brutal. Yeah. All right, Ted, let's preview the marquee games of the weekend. That's brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need which is why you need gosh, reading is difficult. I'm gonna start over. Sound advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and the cable boxes so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, I've got three games that uh, we're going to look at. Number 13, Iowa State goes to Austin to take on number 17, Texas. This game will be Friday at 11 a.m., which is going to be awesome. Wake up Friday for our 7.30 a.m. COVID test and then probably have to get on a plane during this game. Take off right in the middle of it. Not going to get to see any of it. But as you always say, thank God for DVR. (laughs) But a big game for both teams and a big game for both coaches in my opinion, and a big game for determining who will play in the Big 12 championship game. Iowa State coming off that dominant win against Kansas State, but Texas, with their game against Kansas getting postponed, they did have extra time to get ready for this football game. And the more I thought about it, I could see the Texas defense slowing Brees Hall down a little bit in this one which is why I think this game comes down to which quarterback plays better and which team can have explosive plays in the passing game. I don't know if the good version of Brock Purdy will show up. I I know we just saw it, but it's not like he has been extremely consistent this, this season. I'm assuming the time off for Sam Ellinger allowed him to get a little healthier, but... He's going to have to be great in this game for them. With the way that Iowa State is playing, Ellinger's going to have to be spectacular with his legs, Ted. He's going to have to be more accurate than we've seen from him lately throwing the football. But this is going to be a damn good game. I'm expecting this to be one that comes down to the last drive in the fourth quarter. I think these two teams match up well. Yeah, I think they do. You know, If you could just tell me what Brock Purdy was going to show up, I could tell you very easily who wins the football game. But we don't know that, so we've got to get a little bit more in depth. Um, I think Brees Hall is going to have a fine game against Texas. Is it going to be his biggest output of the year? I don't think so, but I think he puts out a a solid game for him. What's he going about, 135 a game-ish right now? I think that he's going to be somewhere in that vicinity. Um, I think Iowa State's defense is going to do what they do. They're going to, it's going to be a bend-don't-break performance from them. Um, I think they, they limit what 
what Texas does, limit the big plays, limit Ellinger. Um, so I know what I'm going to get there. It all comes back down to, to Purdy. I don't know what I'm going to get. Now, here's the thing. I think Texas, in the way that their offense goes, I think they struggle more against Iowa State than they really do anyone else because to be good against Iowa State, you cannot be a limited, predictable offense. You have to be multiple. You have to be able to run it, pass it, have deep threats, uh, have shallow threats, You know, be able to go with the quarterback run. You've got to be uh, very multiple what you do. In Texas, is not multiple what they do. They are a one-man show. If I go to 2018, uh, what, Texas scored uh, 24 points against Iowa State. If I go to 2019, uh, Texas scored 21 points in a loss to Iowa State. They don't put up very big numbers against Iowa State at all. And I think with what you've seen in the running game, that's really going to limit what Asai can do in the destruction and the, the ability to get them off schedule. I just, I think Iowa State, even though they tend to be an inconsistent football team, I think they've got more ways to win this one. Texas has one way to win it, and that is with Sam Ellinger doing absolutely everything for them, and I just don't think that's a recipe for success. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Uh, Could be I totally with- wrong, though. I, I agree with that, but doesn't this, for some reason, for me, it just feels like a game Texas is going to win. I don't know why. I, I have no idea why I feel that way. Because there's one guy that wants to win that game more than anything, and it's the guy that's got the ball in his hands every single snap. Everyone else is like, can take it or leave it, it seems like. But Ellinger is going to fight and scrap and claw, and you know who knows what happens. Here's the thing. Like, if Purdy goes out there and throws three interceptions, they're going to lose the football game. And that is totally like within the realm of possibility that he would do that. You know, if he goes out and plays like he did against Kansas State, this thing, they win, the, win it going away. Yeah. And uh, there's some, I can't remember who it is, but I've got this buddy that always talks about how Iowa State just doesn't seem – to be able to win big games when they're supposed to win them. I, I can't remember who says that all the time. Hmm. If you ever remember, let me know. Okay. <laughs> it's you. It, it, it's you. You say it all the time. Uh, it's going to be a good game. All right, Ted, another game. Number two, Notre Dame. Traveling to Chapel Hill to take on number 19, North Carolina. And, hey, remember when North Carolina was ranked in the top five? Remember that? Yeah, it was, was just weird. a – it was a, like, what, six years ago it seems like, and it only lasted for like a brief moment. Yeah, but it was fun while it lasted. They still have great colors. But, hey, Notre Dame, a really balanced football team. North Carolina is not. But Sam Howell and that offense, they can score some points. They've got the two really good backs in Williams and Carter, and they're going to score. I mean, they're going to score some points in this football game even though that Notre Dame defense is really, really solid. But we'll see. Teddy, I'm not sure if you saw this, but we will see if Notre Dame can overcome losing their most important player offensively. No, not Ian Book. He's Hmm. playing. Their center, sir. 
oh, center, no. the most important position in all of football, out for the year with a foot surgery. Oh, not brutal. Good. Not good. Uh, who, is, who was it? Is, was he a good one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really good point. Uh-oh. I mean, their entire offensive line is going to get drafted, by the way. They, they're always good offensive line, man. They've done a really good job there. Yeah, but this game could be a little frisky, but I, I think the Irish are rolling, man. I think they got confidence. I think they're playing really good on both sides, and uh, I think Ian Book has really found the best version of himself, and Tommy Reese is doing a damn good job calling plays for him. So I think the Irish handled their business in this one. I agree. Um, if North Carolina can turn it into a, a shootout, they've got a chance. Like That's their only chance because while I think Notre Dame is – uh, as you mentioned, a really balanced football team. I agree with that. They run it well. Ian Book can do enough in the passing game. Defensively, they're solid. But they're not, like, super explosive. So if North Carolina can, you know, keep that defense of Notre Dame's out on the field a ton and run them uh, up and down the football field, I think they got a chance because I just don't know how much Notre Dame wants to get into that type of a football game. But – I think they're going to be good enough defensively to, to hold North Carolina down to where it doesn't turn into that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry about your foot, Jared Patterson. Mm, uh, I'm brutal. sorry, man. I think he'd start, he'd start 20-something games in a row for him. So uh, that's a bummer. We'll see. We'll see if the Irish can overcome losing such a pivotal player. Soft-ass centers. They're always the guys. Soft-ass that- foot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more, Ted, and it is the Iron Bowl, and oh my gosh, this game has absolutely no buzz around it, which which is weird. Like, a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people view this as the best rivalry in college football, and there's really no one talking about it right now, as far as I can tell now. Auburn came in at number 22 in the CFP ranking, so be number 22 Auburn at number one Alabama. But I, it just, it just doesn't feel exciting. And Alabama is currently a 24 and a half point favorite in the Iron Bowl. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised with some of the things we've seen from Auburn, especially offensively. Uh, Bo Nix is maybe the best word is just limited. I mean, he's a limited player at the quarterback position for Auburn. And although we haven't seen Alabama in a while, like (laughs) I don't know what they've been doing, but I guarantee you those dudes have been going hard in practice and been getting better. So uh, I, I'm going to have fun watching Mac Jones and all those weapons offensively. Najee Harris, get back on on the field, but I do not envision this going well for Auburn. Teddy, I, I think the 24 and a half is a little light, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> totally agree. I was about to say, uh, if you want a little wet the beak action or some, quote, sound advice, lay the 24 and a half. Alabama is going to absolutely brutalize Auburn. I mean, Alabama, total football team. They can run it. They can throw it defensively started a little slow this year they've settled in nicely and Auburn is just kind of listless right now they've got no direction I don't know 
Like, what can you tell me that Auburn does well? I think defensively they've started to get a little bit better, but a little bit better is not going to cut it against Alabama's offense. Yeah. That one could get ugly quickly. But I, you never know. It is a rivalry game. Okay, so since this is a Thanksgiving special, right, the Thanksgiving episode, we're not going to do our normal segments. Uh, we're going to talk Thanksgiving. And we're going to start talk, uh, by talking the Thanksgiving NFL games that will take place on Thanksgiving Day. And that's brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. Interesting how we have a weight loss clinic when we're talking about Thanksgiving. I love the fit. This is a natural fit. It works, Teddy. Don't look at me like that. This is going to be the – you're going to need this post-Thanksgiving and post-Christmas. This is the exact place you need to go. Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs will help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. May need that after Thursday. Okay, so we've got football all Thanksgiving Day, right? We've got the Texans at the Lions at 11.30 a.m. We've got the Washington football team at the Cowboys at 3.30. And then we've got, we think it seems like it's going to get played. Maybe it'll get pushed. I don't know. Maybe it gets pushed after we recorded this. I'm sorry if it did, but we're still going to talk a little bit about it. But we've got Baltimore. Uh, at Pittsburgh at 720. Teddy, which one of these games are you most excited about? Baltimore Steelers, man. Uh, AFC North matchup. This is always a tough physical football game. A little bit of anger between these two teams right now. Um, I think you're, you've got two of the better squads in, in the AFC. I still think the Steelers may be the cream of the crop of the, of the AFC right now, and that's including the Chiefs. So uh, that's number one for me is to see if the Steelers, that great defensive line, can get it done against Baltimore. Few, few notes about that game. Ravens have lost three of four. Steelers are 10-0. Ravens, it, it feels like a desperate spot for them, and they're not going to have Mark Ingram. They're not going to have J.K. Dobbins. Both of them have got the Rona. Gus. But, I, I mean, the Steelers are just so damn good. Chase D-line, Claypool, baby. have you seen his nickname? No. He's Canadian, okay? So I'm going to start. I, I, huh. I want to get that in there. But Mapletron, not Megatron. <laughs> Mapletron, what a badass nickname. It's so good. Oh, my God, that's I great. will say this about that game. It's late. Big Ben, he, he seems like a guy that would really enjoy him a Thanksgiving meal. So maybe he's moving a little slow in this one. Fair point. Maybe, maybe have that Thanksgiving lunch and everyone's just a little slow out there on the football field. I agree with that. Um, you know, the biggest key here is that Steelers defensive line, man. Lamar Jackson is – if you can make him a pocket passer – where he can't get out and use his legs, he struggles, and I think they're going to be able to do exactly that. 
You know, yeah. they're going to be able to contain him with those athletic edge guys. And um, I like the Steelers, but I do think it could be a really good football game. Yeah, I, I, I'm really interested. I, I will say this. I, I am going to watch the Texans and Lions play because I feel like it's un-American to not watch all the games on Thanksgiving Day. Like, I, I know that a lot of people will probably only watch that game if they're gambling on it. I understand that. But the Texans are coming off a win against the Patriots. Sorry about that, Ted. But mm-hmm. there's no – and maybe Matt Patricia gets fired on the field after this game or something yeah. if they lose because that seat is getting warm for Patricia there in Detroit. But I, I'm going to watch it but I'm not excited about it. I want to make that clear. I am excited about Washington, Dallas. Yeah. Because from a standing standpoint, this is by far the most important game. I, with the Eagles on a bye, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but whoever wins this game. the most game, important game. I think they're both three and seven. <laughs> yes. Whoever wins this game will be the first NFC East team to four wins. Therefore, they will be in first place. So, <laughs> the, the Cowboys offense, it looked functional with Andy Dalton back against Minnesota, but uh, I am, I'm a little worried for that Cowboys offensive line. Now, I'm not worried about Zach Martin. Wherever you put that guy, he's going to block people. He is unbelievable. Just kicks out the tackle, looked amazing. That guy's so damn good. It's unreal. But that defensive line, from Washington, Chase Young, they are Ryan Kerrigan. T- I think Washington Montez will be Sweat. good in the next couple of years, man. That D-line could, could cause some problems for that Cowboys offensive line. But I, I do know one thing. I, I'm sure Andy Dalton's number one goal in this game uh, is to stay conscious because last time these two Woo. teams played, a uh, little iffy. But I, I know that Alex Smith – is going to be in this game as well. So not, not going to be a ton of mobility in this one. But he's turned into a pretty good – and I – for some reason people think this is negative, but he, he's the ultimate game manager. I mean, yep. he, he does a good job. He gets the ball out of his hand. The Antonio Gibson kid at running back is playing well. They still got uh, Terry McLaurin. Like, he's, he's a big weapon. But Dallas's defense – I, they're not good, but it seems like they found a little life, Ted. So I, I'm interested to see what happens in this football game. I think it's going to be super low scoring. Mm, really low scoring? Uh, yeah, okay. You may be right about that. Well, um, did you see what happened? Like the Cowboys strength coach, I don't know if he had yeah, a heart attack, yeah, but they like, canceled practice. I Tuesday. saw that. I don't know what what exactly happened there, but yeah, that was that was scary. Um, you know, whenever you have two really good teams that play each other, you're going to get a good game. When you have a really good team play a really bad team, it's going to be a bad game. But when two really bad teams play each other, it is again a good game. So I think this is going to be fun one way or another. And in the NFL, it's good enough to hide it. Like if we didn't know that both of these teams were three and seven coming into this thing, it would probably appear to be a really good football game. 
You know what I'm saying? So, because yeah. there's going to be some good players out there on both sides of the ball. You, you know, Zeke Elliott and Mari Cooper, CeeDee Lambs uh, come on strong. So, I, I'll say this. It will be a fun football game, entertaining football game to watch. I'm with you. And it's on Thanksgiving. So, you have Perfect. to watch it. It's un-American not to. Them's and the rules. I've told you this before. Uh, the best bonding that my brother and I ever do is watching Dallas Cowboys play and rooting against them. <laughs> now it's not the same as it was when Tony Romo was there because it was always totally epic, but uh, that's how we bond, man. That's our, that's our special time together. Fair enough. Hey, what better than some Thanksgiving <laughs> bonding over laughing at the Cowboys. Laughing at the Cowboys. <laughs> Come on, Cowboys. You can do it. All right, Ted, let's finish up with what I'm calling uh important thanksgiving questions we got to answer some important thanksgiving questions that's brought to you by bishop mcginnis catholic high school as schools are reopening in the fall parents wanted to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children so they sent them to bishop mcginnis catholic high school a one-to-one ipad setting makes mcginnis students fully prepared to continue high level learning from home a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked in addition to athletic programs and clubs Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Okay, rapid fire, important Thanksgiving questions. Are you ready, Ted? Let's, let's do it. Fire away. Turkey or ham? Turkey. Okay, I do want to say this. Holiday ham has more flavor than turkey. That's just a fact. However... Turkey gets the gravy involved. Gravy on a holiday ham, you just look a little weird, frankly. But you smother the turkey in gravy, everyone's like, hey, this guy gets it. So that makes turkey the right choice. Well, here's the thing. Turkey is is not easy to get it right. I mean – True. There is a very small window of making a really good turkey. It's either like dried out or overdone. I mean, it's hard, but whenever you can make or smoke, however you it is that you do it and you nail the turkey, it's got so much flavor and it's fantastic. You can't screw up ham. It's like it's impossible to screw up. You just warm it up essentially and it's going to taste great. So when it's done properly, I would say that a good, perfectly done turkey has even more taste than a ham. And maybe it's just because that you appreciate the fact that they nailed the turkey. Okay, rapid fire. Fried turkey or oven roasted? Oven roasted. Ooh, nice. I, pre- I actually prefer it smoked. Like, growing up, Ooh, my dad yeah, smoked that's, turkey. I should have thrown that in there. Stupid. My dad smoked the whole turkey growing up, and it was always just so good. That's my favorite. But next would be uh, oven roasted and then deep fried. So, yeah. So, just to, just to make sure, turkey power rankings, we are going smoked, oven roasted, fried. That's it for me. I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree with you on that. Uh, I'm sure no one will disagree. Okay. Top three Thanksgiving sides. Rolls do not count. 
I think those are included. So uh, buttered rolls, whatever, crescent rolls, whatever kind of rolls you're getting, those are included. So top three Thanksgiving sides, go. Green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, and any type of like mac and cheese or pasta salad or something like that. Nice. So no dressing, stuffing? No. No. Really? It's the most overrated of all the sides, and I'll tell you why. Explain. Whenever you've got so much food, real estate in your stomach is at a premium, okay? And stuffing, is, it's way too filling. It's way too filling. So anytime you eat stuffing, there's some expansion going on there. It's like bread or whatever. It just, it, it tastes good. It's fine. But it's not worth the real estate that you end up giving up for it in your stomach. Do you want... My hottest Thanksgiving meal take? Yes. Number one Thanksgiving side. The number one thing that is essential for a good Thanksgiving meal is wine. Number one. Okay. If you're not getting a nice little wine buzz on Thanksgiving, I'm here to tell you, you're doing it wrong. Well, Wine is the essential ingredient in Thanksgiving. It'll just make your Thanksgiving better. Just trust me. But if we're talking about foods... My sides, I'm going dressing or stuffing my, my, whatever, I guess. Is it just dressing if you don't stuff the turkey with it? Is that how that works? I've never yeah, really researched it. Yeah, some people get all bent out of shape about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. But my, my wife makes one with like a spicy sausage in it. And okay. ooh, it is legit. So I'm going dressing or stuffing, whatever the hell it's called. Mashed potatoes, because I very rarely eat mashed potatoes. And oh, they're so good. I, I love to get them in. And they're the perfect mixer. You end up mixing your mashed potatoes with pretty much everything. Yes. You get some turkey in there, some gravy. It's like a binder yeah, of the meal. Exactly. That's uh, perfect. And then I'm with you. I am a green bean casserole guy. Uh, I am a GBC guy. Uh, shout out to uh, the, the president of the GBC club, our man, Eddie Radosvich. Mm. No one champions GBC like that, man. And honorable mention for me. Mac and cheese. And then I don't know if you've ever come across this on Thanksgiving, but you will have this one person bring like a cheesy hash brown casserole thing. I don't really know what's in it, but that stuff is good. My wife, her go-to, you know, she's, she cooks fine and I, I enjoy her cooking, but her go-to is hash brown casserole. She makes it over and over and over and it is fantastic. And you will be bringing... Oh, we can't eat on the plane, can we? Um, yeah, yeah, there's no food. You know, because oh, if gonna... you were going to eat on the plane, you'd have to take off your face shield, your hazmat suit, and then your N95 uh, mask, and then you know we'd have to Teddy, test the food. Be- before we wrap this up, one more time, it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be good. I'm it's going to be. be I'm going to be uh, Garth from Wayne's World. I'm having a good time over there in my face shield. That's what's going to be <laughs> happening. And on that note, episode 63 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of the week and weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. We are very thankful for all of you 
for downloading this podcast and, and telling your friends about it. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we're starting to get a lot of feedback from people uh, that are listening. And, and it's a lot of fun to enjoy this with all you guys. So just know that we're extremely thankful for you guys listening to this. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.